Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Happy Hour History. I'm your host, Professor Natalie Harpin. I wanted to do a follow-up episode about the reparations task force that has been put in place in California because I did a part two back in November. And so, you know, now we're halfway through 2023. And initially, it was supposed to have wrapped up in June. So maybe by the time I get around to publishing this episode this month, it will be done. But I just wanted to give an update. So Cal Matters is the website that I have mostly seen a lot of the updates through. These are, I mean, they're keeping track of, you know, different things throughout the state. And it seems like they have a pretty good comprehensive um, clustering of what's happening with that reparations task force. To remind you, if you haven't heard previous episodes where I talked about this, the state of California had previously decided in 2021, I believe, or and maybe it was in 2020, but they had proposed and decided that they were going to give reparations to people who were residents of California, whether or not they could prove they had an enslaved ancestor, but did have an ancestor in the United States in the 19th century. And so that would in their eyes, try to make amends for the centuries and even the last 50 years of racism, segregation, redlining, healthcare disparities, the things that we still are dealing with today, even though on paper, everybody's equal. And that's why, you know, especially if you've had my class or if you heard the previous episodes, we've talked about the difference between equality and equity. Equality means that you know everybody has access to the same thing. Equity means that some people need more to get them on that level of equality because of them having been left out for such a long time. So the idea behind the reparations task force is that it would give that boost to make black Californians equal to their other non-black counterparts with regard to what we have been restricted access from. And I've talked before in previous episodes about how, you know, California really doesn't have the stigma of racism and the aftermath of the Civil War or Reconstruction period or even Jim Crow that places like the South or even places in the North have. But California is still very much a part of that because there were both de facto and de jure segregation within the state of California for black and other non-white groups. But um, in addition to that, you know, we understand how the numbers and the facts and the figures clearly show that there is a racial disparity because of the aftermath of um, the 1950s and 60s, but also into the 1970s and the 1980s and into the early 1990s. So I always like to say that because I think that people, tend, especially who don't know history, don't know state history, don't know federal history, don't know history in general, tend to think that, well, California was a free state. We didn't have slavery. It's like, okay. But again, as I've said in previous episodes, enslaved people could be trafficked into California. And the California state law says that if you're enslaved and you're brought into the state of California, that does not mean that you're now free because California is not a slaveholding state. You still had to remain enslaved because you came into the state 
while you were enslaved. So that is a very important piece that a lot of people are missing. So if you're interested in that, you can listen to the past two episodes I did about that. Um, like I said, part two was in November of 2022, and I believe I did part one sometime in the summer of 2022. So now we're on to part three, <laughs> and there have been some meetings from the task force. The last meeting that they had was in Oakland, and that was in May of this year. So it was just recently, you know, last month. There's about, um, I think I mentioned this before, there was a document that was over 500 pages long where they were including how they would calculate these things, the history of what has happened, the length of time that these things happened, and it does go back to 1850. So I know that some of you have heard about, um, I think it was in Los Angeles, it was in Los Angeles. So in LA and other areas that have talked about how, you know, black families were moved out of areas that were segregated for them. And then those re those lands were used to create tourism within the LA area or other parts of the state. That's also very important, but I think it's also very relevant that the task force created a calculation system, which I'll put the link in the description box of the podcast here, but they've created a sort of tool to calculate how much you would be owed. And I think it's also very important <clears throat> to discuss the fact that, you know, the deadline is July 1st, so they have to make the recommendations. Now, recently, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, has sort of rescinded back a little bit on his idea about just, you know, making sure that it passes through. And that's interesting to me because I know that, you know, politically speaking, <laughs> that's not out of the ordinary, right? Um, Gavin Newsom has been usually on the vanguard of, I guess, what will be considered equitable legislation practices, making sure that women and minorities have spaces on his cabinets, um, being open to learning the histories of groups that he's not familiar with so that he can do something meaningful for them. And I believe that this was part of that. One thing I'll also say is that, you know, for a long time as a historian and as a um, history, excuse me, as a historian of the African diaspora in this hemisphere and as a historian who was also black American specifically too, I think it's interesting that all the years we've heard people say, well, we need to stop talking about slavery and why do we always have to watch slavery movies? Like even from other black people and other black students, now we're facing a situation in this country where they're literally trying to make it illegal to learn black history. So I just want to make it very clear here that this, like we can't just pretend that that some of us within our group aren't responsible for that rhetoric. We have to actively push against that rhetoric. Everybody deserves to have their history told. Everybody. And so I just wanted to add that in here. And this is also what I tell my students is that we can't stop talking about what happened to our specific group in this country because lineage does matter and we need to keep talking about it until they do something to fix it. And even then, if people wanted to talk about it afterwards, fine, right? Or if they wanted to kind of scale back, you know, not everybody can do everything. I understand that. I'm a historian, so I have a vested interest in talking about things that have happened and how they relate to current events um, and the time and space we find ourselves in. But that's, I think, part of the problem. Like, 
people don't want to. And when you don't talk about these things and you don't learn how deep this stuff went, it makes it very easy to pretend like, oh, well, we live in a post-racial society. Everybody gets along now. And California was a free state. California doesn't have racism, blah, 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 blah. It makes it easy to buy into those stereotypes. And that only benefits the state and the people who have um, unjustly confiscated our ability to now afford to be citizens in this state. We're not even talking about federally, right? Citizens of the nation. I guess I should say residents of the state, but definitely citizens of the nation. So looking at the recent um, crunchings of the numbers, it basically says that the calculations vary depending on the type of racial harm and how long a person's lived in the state. From the last thing I had read that they were saying that you had to have been a resident of California as late as, I want to say 2020. So that tells me, which I think I mentioned on part one, that they're being very, um, well, I would say, you know, lineage matters, right? They're being very careful about watching for people who are coming into the state to try to claim residency for this. Okay. Now the population, the black quote unquote population of the state of California is 4%. That Now that is a self identifying thing, right? Because as we know now, people pretty much self identify. So, and are allowed to self identify. There's not necessarily someone coming to your home and saying, well, the people who live here are this race or this group or whatever. Um, most Americans do get to self, um, I guess, what, um, self-identify, sorry, for however they want to be statistically counted. So the black population of California stands at about 4%. The people within that who, of course, are going to be descendants of people whose families were here in the 19th century is going to be only a part of that 4%. That's also very important here because I think that, again, people have this idea that like it's unaffordable to do this and it very much is not unaffordable to do this. And again, this is why I say that lineage does matter because having someone who's in the country in the 19th century, who's gone through centuries and the last 50, 60 years of segregation and not being able to accrue the generational wealth that other people have been able to because of redlining, racism in medicine, education, things like that, that does affect us in 2023. And it will affect us into the 22nd century if it doesn't get improved on today. So they're estimating that the losses range from about $2,300 per person per year as residents of the state um, and potentially to $77,000 per person for black owned business losses and devaluations over the years. So the discussion is about two different kinds of reparations and they're saying that it's arising from particular instances of discrimination or harm and those that involve distributing money or benefits to all eligible black Californians for racial harm that was experienced macro racially, right? For the entire community. So I did mention what happened in L.A. with Bruce's Beach. It mentions this in the article saying that um, 100 years ago that the black family had their land taken from them and they resold it to L.A. County for $20 million. 
And that was a really groundbreaking instance. Now, we've talked on this podcast about redlining. And so I think um, it's important to mention that for housing discrimination, that there are two methods of loss calculation as far as the task force is concerned and how they've quantified it. So it has said that the black and white housing wealth gap um, would it says it would peg losses at one hundred and forty five thousand eight hundred forty seven dollars per person. The other method, which is based on the history of redlining within the state and discriminatory lending, zoning, um, and again, that's all part of redlining, but that it would calculate the losses for black residents at $148,000, basically $148,100 per person, or roughly $3,366 for each year that they lived in California from 1933 to 1977. It includes, to say that for injustices and discrimination in health, it estimates $13,619 per person for each year lived in California, or $966,900. 121 total for someone living about 71 years, the average life expectancy for black residents of California as of 2021. Now, of course, there are reparations advisory committees in different parts of the state, Los Angeles. I know there's one in Oakland. There is some, um, I think there's a small group here in San Diego, but you know, a lot of these people are saying that now's the time to sort of you know, plug into your local community and and compile, right, your information. And I would say get knowledgeable about exactly what's going on. Of course, there's a lot of pushback against this. And I would, you know, of course, caution anybody from talking about these sort of things in mixed company or among people who may be hostile to the idea, because we know that people increasingly these days are violent with regard to that. They are not willing to acknowledge how their grandparents and great grandparents also received government aid that made their middle class lives possible that were not given to black people. There's a whole history of that. I've talked about this in the podcast. If you are not familiar with that, you can listen to previous episodes, but these are all facts. These are all traceable figures. There is legislation that proves it. So we have hard evidence that these things were in place and that they specifically restricted black people within the state of California and also across other states in the nation. So there's going to be more meetings within June and then, of course, into July, well, definitely through this end of June, um, because the deadline is supposed to be July 1st. We'll see if they push it back. I mean, I know that they had discussed last time that they did not want to push it back because they don't want to get into a situation, of course, where they keep pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back. At that point, they might as well be the federal government. Just to give you some history, the federal government did promise reparations to the descendants of enslaved people and people who had been enslaved themselves um, after the Civil War was won by the North, by the Union. These things did not go into place. And so throughout the centuries, there has been an increasing wealth gap based on race because of that. And like I said, it's not just about the 1860s. It's about Jim Crow policies that extended into the 1960s. It's about redlining that extended into the late 1980s. It's about hiring practices that continue to discriminate against um, black Americans today when it comes to, you know, even the discussions about who gets pulled out of, you know, resume piles based on their name and if their names are too ethnic and things like that. All of these things still matter. So, of course, some of the things that they're talking about is that there needs to be, and I know it was Monica Montgomery Stepp, who's a representative here in California, I think for District 4, there have been discussions of making sure that the 
people are advocating for legislation that helps prevent this from going on, right? Because you don't want to just give people something that's supposed to remedy it, but not fix the root of the problem. It does need to be both, though. And I think that, you know, there, of course, are some people who say that, well, there's no need to give some sort of a cash settlement. I believe that everybody should be able to pick what they want to do. I believe that some people should be able to get vouchers for other things if they don't want the cash payment. I believe that people should be able to get the cash payment if they want to. I believe that there could be a great diversity of how they handle the situation and the options that they give people to take for that. Um, I mean, I guess I could just talk about it real quick, right? Because there's been talks about, well, why don't we make um, California, because this is just within the state of California, right, so far, but there's been discussions about why don't we make college free, right, for the descendants of enslaved people in California, just like they've now made tuition free at, I believe, the UCs for native, indigenous native, you know, slash Native American students. I think that that's a great proposal. I think that that should be an option for black Americans, descendants of enslaved peoples in this country. That being said, for those who don't want to go to formal um, college, right, like a formal institution, the way we imagine college, or who have already gone to college, that's not a viable option, right? They could give vouchers as far as giving zero down loans, giving people the option not to pay federal or state taxes for a period of time, if not for the rest of their life to catch up with that wealth gap. Like there are ways that it could be done if people wanted to opt out of receiving a paper check. And that's going to vary based on the privileges that people within the specific lineage and racial group have experienced. Right? So for example, if someone who you know, was able to go to school already, you know, didn't have loans, you know, they already own property. Maybe for them, they choose to take that cash settlement. Maybe for people who do want to go to school, they decide, okay, well, I'm going to take the, you know, the, um, the free tuition. They could create something as far as job points, right? So I know that there was just legislation that passed about, uh, veterans, spouses, and caretakers being able to get job points for federal jobs, much like veterans get um, job points for federal jobs. They could do the same thing with people who are descendants of enslaved people. They could get job points. So, you know, if they were going to apply for federal or state jobs, like there are ways to do it. And I think that there should be an option. I am always, of course, um, surprised at how people don't know the deep history of California and again flippantly write it off by saying that well California wasn't a slave state and you know there are you know black people had just as much opportunity in California as everybody else like again that is a completely uninformed statement and it is completely the opposite of the truth and again it's not just about the things that happened in the 19th century it's also things that have continued into the 21st century and things that continue through pretty much all of the 20th century. So that being said, um, most people would be affected by this personally if they are a black American descendant of enslaved people and or and or who knows somebody who was. And so we know that the predatory, even the predatory lending, right, that happened in 2008. So that wasn't that long ago. 
We know that banks were specifically giving subprime loans to black families in addition to other groups of people, minorities, but they were giving them to black families because they knew that the market was going to crash and that they would be able to recoup that and basically turn a profit for the bank. Some of these same banks got their wealth in the slave trade to begin with, right? So it's extra ironic that it continued to happen. But I just wanted to give an update for that and tell everyone, you know, to keep aware of the task force meetings. The next one is going to be live streamed. It's going to be taking place in Oakland. No, I'm sorry. I think the next one's going to be taking place in in Oakland, but they've been live streaming them. But if you're in San Diego, there are groups that are talking about this. If you're in LA, um, just, you know, I, I think that people need to start spending time compiling um, their histories, especially if you're able to. So utilizing free databases, I left links on part one and I think part two for free resources that do and have traced um, slave records, right, or ancestry logs that you don't have to pay for. I believe that people need to make sure that they know the names of people. And again, you don't have to prove that the person was enslaved, but you do need to show that you had an ancestor who was here in the 19th century. And I know, again, for other people who are, you know, regarded as black American, but not descendant of enslaved people in this country, or they, their family hasn't been here since the 19th, 18th, 19th centuries. It's important in this case, in these spaces to be meaningful allies, because we understand that this lineage is very important and it's not meant to exclude people. It's not meant to say, well, you haven't suffered racism, right? Because obviously people within that racial group do suffer racism, no matter who their ancestors were, right? But it's saying that these policies have affected a specific group of people for a very long time. And we understand that the way lineage works, and I've talked about this in my class, is that people who are also racially black, but who are not descendants of enslaved people in this country are often pedestalized over us in the eyes of dominant society for jobs, for educational resources. So even though on paper they're black, right? They are seen as having a cultural reference that puts them above us. And some of them have also bought into this idea. Now, I know that there are issues with diaspora wars and people who um, who are black American descendant of enslaved people who are not welcoming to other black people from the Caribbean or the you know continental Africa or Latin America, things like that. It does that prejudice does go both ways. But again, the top down, like black Americans don't have any power to stop another black group coming from somewhere else to get ahead. And so it's not the same thing. It's not an equally weighted issue when it comes down to access to resources, jobs, education, things like that. And that lineage is important. If you're interested in reading more about that, you can always email me and I can send you a chapter of a book, um, like a PDF, but I would definitely check out, I mentioned this before, um, the Jim Crow guide to the USA by Stetson Kennedy. Also, if you're interested in redlining, reading, um, what's it called? Color of law, how the government segregated America. That's by Richard Rothstein. 
if you're interested in education, like how um, it goes there, I think it's Education and Social Change by John Rory, I think, R-U-R-Y. There's plenty of resources for reading about how these um, racist practices into the 1980s, 90s, and early 2000s, how they've affected people, including within the state of California. The reason I love Color of Law so much is because he focuses on metropoli, right? So like major cities. And specifically, I would say a good chunk of it is just about California. So I think that that's fabulous. It also is very relevant and making people understand that these things were very much relevant today and that they're connected to today, that they have been going on the whole time and that a lot of us just aren't aware of it. So thank you as always for listening. I hope you liked the compilations for the last two weeks as far as the diaspora words mean things. You know, I think that this is going to spark conversations in other states as well as other countries because I've talked about how, you know, the black populations in Peru or Colombia or Mexico um, in any given area in this hemisphere, they are owed, right, for the discrimination that they still suffer from. I think, I'm not sure which episode I mentioned in, but, you know, I think as late as, what, 2010, 2011, the black high school graduation rate in Peru was 3%, even though they are a majority of the population, right? When you look at the people who are forced to do agricultural labor and still pick cotton, they're black Peruvians. Like they're Peruvians who are black. They are Afro Latinx folks. And so these things are very, very, very important. And I think in a lot of the conversations happening within Latin America amongst the indigenous and the black descended populations who are still being discriminated against because of the creation of race as a caste system. And California generally does lead revolutionary movements. Um, Black Californians also, right, have led revolutionary movements that have been inspirational to other people within the country. And, you know, same thing I could say for people who were, you know, in Alabama, who in the 60s, who were doing things and, you know, inspiring people in the West Coast and in the North. Um, If you look at Latinx history, looking at how people within Mexico inspired people in Argentina and Cuba and all these other places, right? Like, You have to know what's going on and understand regional histories, international histories, and the things that connect us all and see that we're all really fighting a lot of the same things. And I think it's important for people to be meaningful allies and to give information and challenge misinformation. So I hope everyone has a great rest of their day or evening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.